Well, good morning. So, I have a question, or some questions for you all this morning, and so I need active participation. Um, they're not rhetorical. So, who has come this morning um, actively fasting in the season of Lent? It's given something up. It's been since uh, Ash Wednesday started that you found something in your life that you wanted to hold off on in, during this time. Uh, is anyone fast? And, and out of those who answered, is anyone fasting coffee? Bless your heart. No, no. Well, that's good. That's funny. So, coffee and our relationship with, with it in this culture is a very interesting and very dependent one. Uh, overall, coffee consumption is up by 5% across the nation since 2015, which may not sound like a whole lot, but out of the hundreds of the people, 5% is quite a bit. Uh, 7 in 10 Americans drink coffee every week. 62% drink coffee every day. And the average American coffee drinker drinks um, just over three cups per day. Nine of the 10 older uh, drinkers consume a cup of coffee at breakfast compared to the seven out of 10, um, 10 uh, 19 or 18 to 24 year olds who, um, who drink it after breakfast. Uh, young people are also twice as likely to consume a coffee beverage at lunchtime um, than someone over 60. So this is something that keeps us going. It's the lifeblood. Uh, the slogan, uh, America runs on Duncan, is very real. Um, in my, one of my uh, economics classes in uh, high school, we talked about how important um, coffee is to this country and how if you've ever, you know, every morning you drive by all the drive throughs and they're wrapped around the building, um, and no matter how long that line is, you still get to work on time sometimes. Um, so it's something that is very ingrained in who we are. And it's interesting, I ask because, uh, I ask that because coffee is something that, or, speci- or caffeine, but coffee specifically is something that um, we've become very dependent on. It's something that's almost, without it, the day just can't happen. And so oftentimes people love to go to that as a very strong test of faith during Lent to say, hey, God, I want to give this up for you. I want you to energize me enough throughout the week. And, but none of you are brave enough to do that. That's okay, though. Um, sadly, I had a gift card because I was going to say, as you come here today, um, today is not just, um, is, is, the, is the first Sunday in Lent, which means something different. And the reason I have a gift card is because today is the day that you didn't have to fast. You have the ability to say, hey, I can rest. And why is that? Well, today is Sunday in Lent. And if you look at the calendar um, for the days in Lent, um, there are 40 days in Lent. But if you look when Lent starts versus when Lent Lent ends, there are six or so days missing. There's about 47 days in Lent. And that means we're not counting something, meaning that on the Sundays in Lent, you get to take a day off, get to take those days off. And you get to um, what we call Sabbath. Because Sunday, uh, in our tradition, is Sabbath. It is something that we recognize. Um, and this is, I'm not going to go into whether Saturday is the Sabbath versus Sunday is in the Sabbath. Um, there's uh, a long tradition for either, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. But I'd like to turn with, turn with me to Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 through 13, and if you would stand for the reading of God's word. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. At that time, Jesus went to the grain fields on the Sabbath. 
His disciples were hungry and began to pick uh, some heads of grain and eat them. When the Pharisees saw that saw this, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath. He answered, Haven't you read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he um, and companions ate the con- consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Or haven't you read in the law that the priests on Sabbath duty in the temple dis- uh, des- desecrate the Sabbath and yet are innocent. I tell you what, that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I destroy mercy, not sacrifice, you would, have, you would not have condemned the innocent. For the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Going on from this place, he went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand uh, was there. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? He said to them, If any of you had a sheep and it falls into, the, uh, falls into a pit on the Sabbath, you not take, take hold of it and lift it out. How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. He said to them, Stretch out your hand. So he stretched out, and it was completely restored, just as, uh, as sound as the other. Uh, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So we're in this season of Lent, and we're, today is the first day in that season of Sabbath. So what is Sabbath, and what is it not? Because I think we have an idea of what Sabbath is, but, and it's interesting, um, and Ryan had this problem as a student, Shrebeka as well, but when you look up the idea of Sabbath, there isn't a whole lot written on it, because I think there's just so, there's so many ways that we look at it, and we maybe misinterpret just a little bit, or we misunderstand, and we've kind of gotten in this rhythm, but uh, uh, we first are introduced to the Sabbath in the very beginning of creation. God um, was uh, creating all of uh, creation, and then at, as he ended, he says, thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all their multitude, and on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and ha- uh, hallowed it, because on it, on it he rested from all the work that he had done in creation. So this isn't just a time to come to church. God didn't have really, really have a church to go to. But after he was done creating the universe and he was um, forming the stars and he even created humanity, um, he sits down, I, I just imagine him sitting down on the rock that he just created just minutes ago, and just sits down and just takes a breath. Because the work's not over. He, he wasn't finished. He said it was good. He called it very good even. But the work that he was doing, was still had, he still had to do. The first, uh, this is the first given example of this, what the Sabbath is. It is a time that we rest, even though there is work to be done, like clocking out at the end of the workday. Sure, there is more work to do, and you'll have plenty to do when you go in on Monday. But, there, uh, but for now, it's time to take a break. Conta- a, a commentator on this uh, passage says, The Sabbath was made for man, not, not made by man for the Sabbath. It was to help us not, um, to, to not make life harder. And in Exodus, we uh, see the people of Israel are experiencing the Sabbath, and it was given to them by the people uh, by God uh, in the law. And there, uh, and we read in the Ten Commandments, it says, "Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy." 
And now, sure, there's a day um, of the week that we recognize the Sabbath with, and that's so we can set, set time apart and to worship. Um, but there was, and the uh, people of Israel, they had several ways to look at Sabbath in a way, participate in Sabbath. And one was the seventh day of the week. They would, um, and we see that even in Exodus when they're in the, um, the wilderness and uh, they're relying on God to um, provide for them. So he says, there will be manna, there will be quail, um, go out for six days, collect, and on the sixth day, collect just a bit more. So when you get to um, the Sabbath, you don't have to work, go collecting the food, and there will be enough. And even when they didn't trust God, they'd go out and like, all right, it's the seventh day. Hold on, come here. Let me get some more. Just get, just get a little bit more. It would go bad. God said, trust me with what I'm giving you. And even in their practices, once God gave them the land um, that he had promised them, he asked them that when he, they would work in the fields, they would work in the fields for six years, and on the year, they would make enough so they would have enough for three more years. So on the seventh year, they can rest the land, not grow anything. And this is less of a rest for the people, but the rest for the earth. Because even in modern um, agricultural practices, we know if we rest the land a little bit for a period of time, the nutrients that were taken away can grow back and um, better uh, nutri- uh, have better nutrients for the crops that you later on. And so this is not for us in, in this practice that God gave us. There was a purpose for it, and there was something that uh, we could even see um, scientifically today. And then there was seven sets of those years, and on the 49th, um, we were to prepare for what was called the year of Jubilee. On that 50th year, after these seven sets of these seven years, all this land that had been distributed and sold and resold and bought and given here and given there, God said, find the person that you, um, it was given to, because a lot of those people would sell their land because they didn't have money. They were poor. They found, uh, fell on hard times. So they'd give away part of their land or their livestock or things like that. And God said, on that 50th year, there will be a trumpet. It will blow, and you will go back to that person and give them um, the land that they had. And that sounds very good, and it never happened once. Uh, as my, uh, my uh, Old Testament theology professor described it as a pipe dream. It never happened. Um, it's very unfortunate because it's, and it's something that's hard. I mean, like, looking on our, our modern kind of society, it's hard to say after a period of time to be like, all right, debts are forgiven. Everyone gets their stuff back. It doesn't work that way because a lot of people that got their car repossessed would be very happy. But it doesn't, it doesn't happen that way. And also, for us, these are how the people of Israel celebrated the fa- or um, uh, observed the uh, Sabbath, but for us, it's we kind of have designated just this is the day we come to church. You know, we might still work. Some people definitely work on Sundays, or you know, you might go to church that morning, but you know, you still got work this week. You got a project that you didn't finish on the weekend, so the work never really stops on Sunday. It's just the day you come to church that morning, and we take a Nazarene nap because we're exhausted from the weekend. But it never really stops. Um, in a book titled Keep the Sabbath Holy by uh, Marva Dawn, she says, The church has become a static place to which believers go for tired and, t- uh, and tired rituals. We are not going to church. We are going to a sanctuary to participate in an order of worship together with, uh, with other people of God gathering in community to be nourished by all that we do there together so that we can go out into the world and be the church. 
Sabbath is more than just gathering together on Sunday. It is something that we can do not on Sunday, because even when we look at it, we say, well, is Sabbath on Sunday or is it on Saturday? Who's this old church guy that said it should be on Sunday? I don't know. But we can look at that, or we can say any day that we um, take a time to rest, to stop, to clock out, and say, I'm going to take a break. There's still work to do. And just like the people of Israel that um, recognize these days of Sabbath in these periodic ways, they recognize that there was still more work to do, and God wanted them to be able to stop and to rest and say, I know you have a lot going on, but I want you to take a time and have peace. In verse 3 and 8, the verse that I read to you in the beginning, um, Matthew 12 says, he, he answered, haven't you read that David uh, did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God, and he and his companions ate the consecrated bread, which was not lawful for them to do, but only for the priests. Uh, or, or haven't you read in the law that the priests on the Sabbath uh, duty in the temple de- de- desecrated the Sabbath and yet are innocent? I tell you that, that something greater than the temple is here. If you had known what these words mean, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man, uh, Son of Man, is the Lord of the Sabbath. And these Pharisees know the law inside and out. So much of effort into the law, they have forgotten why the law was written. Uh, they would go about, and if you look back in the history of why they would act the way they did, and we often look at them as a villain because they were very responsible for Jesus' death, but their intentions weren't necessarily bad. For a period of time, for a long period of time, they were exiled twice in the um, nation of Israel, and these religious leaders were like, hey, we need to get back to it. We have the law. We know what God said. We know what God has called us to be in this relationship, in this covenant we have with him. If we just keep the law, if we keep it and follow it just how it is, we'll be okay. And they had writings and ancient teachings that these people would practice and learn and study, and it became less about the law and less about that. And so they forget why God gave them the law. So, you know, the law might say, if you stop here, this is the line. If you don't cross this line, you will not break the law. So they're like, all right, just to be safe, we'll stop way over here. If we follow, if we don't get even close to the line that says, if we break that line, they'll be mad at us and exile us again. If we stop way over here, we'll be okay. No exile, we're fine. And this is a practice that they, we often see happening and clashing with Jesus, they say, hey, this is happening. Why aren't you doing something about it? Why are your people breaking that law? Why are you not worried about the law? Why are you not stopping way over here? Because if we come way over here, we might break the law. We're going to get exiled again. We don't want that. This is our land. God gave it to us. So the intentions behind this were good. They had good intentions. And so when we look it back into our old his, our own history, the, the history of the Nazarenes. This past week, I was at a conference, and we learned about the Nazarene history. And one person that I love hearing about is one of our founders. He started. He was a Methodist that didn't agree with the Methodists back in um, way back when. And he was in um, Los Angeles, and he would serve the people in what was the original Skid Row, and these homeless people that were down, and he would serve them, and he would preach to them, and he would love on them. And one thing he found was that a lot of them suffered of alcoholism. And so 
when we formed the Church of the Nazarene, we were like, all right, no more alcohol. Get rid of it. We're not doing it. Not because you can't, it's not that you can't take part in alcohol and be okay, but we've seen so much that if we just stay over here and completely stay away from alcohol, no one's going to be, that, that problem will never happen and will never affect those people's lives. And so we'll be safe. But rather than, and also rather than focusing on the people that are in need, we just say, hey, our people, you guys, stay with call. They've already messed up. They, they deal with the alcohol, so just let them deal with it. But for us, stay away from the alcohol. And if you, went to, if you were a student in um, uh, they've gone even further than that. So they had spies at the movie theaters to make sure the students didn't go to the movies because sa- Satan was all in the movie theaters and all in the movies, so we couldn't go. And then even now, um, Nashville is a very uh, big party, and so they have spies in the, um, in the bars to make sure none of the uh, Trevecca students are caught in the bars. And so we, it's less about the, the work and the law that God gave us to say, hey, I want you to be safe, and I want you to be whole, and I want you to be holy and sanctified. But we say, I, I just got to stay away from those because it might make me bad. I don't want to be like the heathens. Got to stay away from that. And even Charles Wesley, um, the brother of John Wesley, who we are contrib- or contribute our ancestry to um, in our tradition, they wouldn't just write songs. They wouldn't say, hey, we need Christian songs. We need holy Christian songs for us to sing in church. Um, they wanted us to be able to go, and the people that were coming, that they were ministering to, would hear music that was familiar to them. So John, Charles Wesley, who wrote a lot of hymns, many that you know, would go to the bars and the places that the secular people were at and listen to the music and write songs and write hymns based off of those secular songs. So when people came to church, they heard this worship. They heard something very familiar. They, they knew that there was something familiar about that that they could sing along to, and they recognized. This is our history. It's not something that we follow just to say, well, if we stay stay away from this line, we won't sin, we'll be sanctified, we'll be okay, we'll be holy people. But if we forget why we stay away from that line, we, we lose why we are here and what we are doing. And Jesus, in a, in a statement, he said he noticed that the people, of, the Pharisees they were speaking to were forgetting why they were given the law. He says, I tell you that something greater than the temple is here. If you, know, if you had known what these words mean, I destroy, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the innocent, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. So they're so worried about these laws. They're so worried about following the, um, the law to the letter, even to the point of going um, just um, further away from it so they didn't cross that law. They forgot what it means to be in this right relationship with God, which includes the Sabbath. The Sabbath wasn't just to lock away us from uh, doing the wrong things, and Jesus says we need to rest so they would just avoid doing any kind of work, anything that resembled work, just so they would follow the law, just, just so. But God, but God here is saying, you're missing the whole point. I have sent my son that is not just a person that's just to tear everything up, but he's to fulfill this law. He's to fulfill this rest that we have and I have for you. He says, the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath, meaning that year of jubilee that never came, has finally come. When the person of Jesus walked among us, he was that rest. He was that final breath that we can take to say, it is done, it is finished.
take a break. The work, there's still work to do, and I'm doing it, but for now, rest. Jesus was the Lord of the Sabbath, the ultimate jubilee. He came to liberate and to set all things new. The ultimate debt of his life was forgiven through him. And I have a song. I see Ryan is very good and very talented. You know, when he wants to sing something that fits with what he wants to preach, he can just sing. I can't do that, but I have a Ryan. And so he's going to sing a song. And as we come to a close, I want you to hear the words of this song. Because sometimes some of you may have come to church today just to check off the box of, I came to church, it's, it's Sunday, I'm here, let's get this going so I can go get lunch and go home. It's got a, I've got a long week ahead of me. But I hope that you hear the words of Jesus, because just before the passage that I read, he, to lead into the story of the, um, the Sabbath, he says, Come to me, all that, you, that are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Take on his yoke this morning and find rest in him. This morning, we're going to take part in communion. And if you hadn't received elements when you walked in, uh, will someone, um, if you raise your hand, we'll have someone make sure you get those. And this morning, as we enter into his rest and we experience the sabbath this morning and we come to his table find i hope you find and experience him this morning in a way that you haven't before in a way that he has come to, and i hope he comes to you in a way that he hasn't in order to experience his rest and his mercy that he has for you this morning and just when you get, receive your elements there's a small thin film on the top that opens up to the, the, the bread, and then the tin foil opens up to the juice. And on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread in his hands and raised it and um, broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Preserve you blameless from everlasting life. Take and eat. And likewise, he took the cup and he raised it and he said, this is my blood that was shed for you. Drink it in remembrance of me. And this morning as you go, I invite you to be more than just a day that you came to church, but it was a day that you experienced the rest that Jesus has for us and will have not just in one day of the week, but every day. And if Sunday is not the day for you to be able to rest in him, I hope you find a day that you can experience God fresh and anew. And I hope you can experience that today. Go in peace.